Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Brian, and along with Jeff, we are the hosts of this program. Hello, and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. My name is Jeff. I'm one of your co-hosts, and with me this evening is Brian. Brian, how you doing? Hey, doing very well, Jeff. Thanks. Yeah, our uh, listeners may be in for uh, you know an extra special treat because we're continuing our series on Second Peter chapter one, adding to your faith. Brian, I've kind of lost track, but we're like seven or eight podcasts. Yeah, this will this will be number eight tonight. That's correct. Number eight tonight. Great, uh, and which I think suggests strongly the uh, the depth of the material um, that is in the context of a Second Peter one that we've been looking at. And uh, as part of this series, we have as a uh, special guest, uh, our preacher, uh, Alan Hitchin, who is kind of guiding us through this study. Good evening, Alan. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing really well. Looking forward to getting into this material again tonight. Yeah, as we're kind of nearing the end, I think we have one more podcast, which will kind of be wrapping up the study. Um, so, Al, and certainly for our listeners, we would encourage you to go back and uh, start the series from the uh, beginning to kind of get the overall uh, context and the progression of various key words uh, from Second uh, Peter. But Alan, for kind of a real quick summary for our listeners tonight, can you kind of bring them up to speed on on where we're starting? Yeah, I think that once again, I'd like to emphasize to our readers just how wonderful this passage is, how comprehensive it is, and how important. It's wonderful while you're praying to just go through these words and and be thinking about, Lord, do I need to have more virtue? Or should I repent because I didn't manifest virtue today? Uh, and how about more knowledge? And this self-control? Have I been able to grow in my self-control? Have I been able to uh, learn how to conquer these weaknesses and lusts, or even more important, the demands that the Lord has asked us to, to take on? And do I get tired or weary? Well, then it's time to start working on perseverance again, because perseverance is going to keep us, keep us keeping on even if we grow weary. And then we move to godliness, which is a special word that really kind of captures our relationship with God. The love we have for God, the devotion we have for God, the, the care and concern we have for his feelings. We want him to be our friend because we know all the blessings, but godliness helps us to become his friend. And then we discussed last week the interesting change of relationship after we become a Christian. This world is no longer our home. Uh, we have a new family, a new nation. Abraham becomes our father. And just like the Jews saw themselves as one big family and one big nation, brotherly kindness captures all of that and helps us to appreciate that all the Christians all over the world are our family now. And we should have the same love and care and concern for them as we do uh, for our own material or physical family. And then, as, as we will wind down next week, we'll talk about how if we have these things, we're going to be busy, we're going to be productive, we're going to be fruitful, we're going to see things we've never been able to see before. We are going to establish and strengthen our hope of eternal life and receive this wonderful entrance into the eternal kingdom. So that's really where we've been and where we're going. 
In our last podcast, you mentioned that in many languages, there's only one word for love and that the scriptures have two words. Can you help our listeners understand the difference between these two words? Yeah, that's an excellent point, Brian. The The truth of the matter is that there is a divine love that exists in heaven, and there's a human love that exists on the earth. Now, it wasn't always that way. When God created us, we were created in his image and after his likeness, and this love was also a part of our love. Human love, there's nothing wrong with human love. It is actually a, uh, a wonderful quality. It's just that it's limited. And so when we, before we become a Christian, when we hear the word, I love, for example, I love my wife or my children, I love my job or my possessions, I love my, my hobbies, I love to study, I love to eat, I love to read, these are all statements about human love. And from infancy, this love played a tremendous role, a vital role in our growth and development. Infants need this love. They need to be loved. They need to be caressed. They need to be held. They need to feel needed and desired. And this is where we all started. All of our understanding of love has developed through the relationship with our mother and father, the relationship with other people, the things that we've learned to like, things that we enjoy, things that, we, that, that make us feel happy. And so uh, some things we like, some things we dislike, some things we love, some things we hate. And in these terms, we capture everything that has to do with human love. And we need a word like this. We need a word like this to express to our the people that we love that we have these feelings for them alan but the way you describe it it sounds like this kind of you know human love is really more focused inwardly or focused on ourselves and what we get out of it as opposed to being focused more uh, outwardly can you maybe comment on that yeah exactly jeff that's the limitation of human love the limitation of human love is, and I think we all know this to be true, if we are asked, do you love something? We quickly search through our heart to see if we have any desire, any interest, any glow of pleasure, anything about that particular thing. And if we can't find it, then we would have to say, no, I don't love that. For example, if our spouse or one of our children comes up and says, do you love me? Do you love me? Uh, or when we say, I love you to them, what are we expressing? Well, we're expressing the need, the desire, and the pleasure. When we first meet our wife and we fall in love, or we first meet our husband and we fall in love, there's a very special warm feeling inside of our heart. It's a, a feeling of need, a feeling of pleasure, a feeling of, of interest and enjoyment. And that same quality, when we eat a good meal, or we go to a beautiful place, or we get a nice gift, uh, then we love it. And because we love it, we express our pleasure and enjoyment to other people. And the scriptures use this word about 55 times. It's not that there's something wrong with this word. It's actually a very good word. Uh, in John chapter 5 and verse 20, it's the love that the Father has for, for the Son. It's th this, this love, of, this pleasurable love. God has it. We have it. Uh, it's normal. It's healthy. It's part of natural affection. 
In John chapter 11 and verse 3, it's this human love that Jesus felt for Jesus, or excuse me, that Jesus felt for Lazarus, and it was this love that caused him to weep. And then in John 16 and verse 27, once again, Jesus says the Father loves the disciples. And that too is this human love, even though we would say, well, how can it be human love if God has it? Well, God has both of these loves. And he instilled both of them in us, but we only kept, for the most part as the race, we only kept the latter. We didn't really uh, keep the divine love that exists in heaven, but very seldom do we see it on earth. So, Alan, do we have any way of learning this new love outside of the scriptures? You know, that's a that's an interesting point, Brian. In in cultures where Christianity is is the heritage, many of the Western civilization countries, uh, England and America and most of Europe, they used this term because it did become a part of the culture. And many of these cultures have that. But a lot of cultures they, if they don't know the Bible, they haven't been influenced by the Bible, then this is a word that is very difficult to grasp. Because, as I say, from the moment we're born until the moment we become a Christian, uh, almost exclusively, we're under the influence of human love. Human love, self-interested love, love that cares and is concerned about the pleasure and the enjoyment and the happiness that it brings to us. And when I say, I love you, then most people are hearing that you give me some form of pleasure or I have some need for you or I have some interest in you. Uh, and as, as I said earlier, only cultures that have been strongly influenced by the scriptures, by the love of Christ, by the love of God, then we will find, and we'll give some illustrations a little later so that our listeners can think about whether or not they have been influenced by this and whether they would do some of these things or not. So as we start kind of digging into this, you know, human love versus divine love, et cetera, you know, at least according to, you know, Genesis, you know, chapter one and two in creation, we were all created, you know, after or according to God's image and likeness, which refers to our, our, our inner being and a lot of our attitudes and thoughts, etc. Uh, but it sounds like you're saying that sort of like that part of our image, if you will, was somehow forgotten or left behind or diminished um, as we grow up and become more of an adult and or grow more into uh, sin. Would that be fair to say? I think that's an excellent observation. It's incredible when you think about the fact that when Adam and Eve were created, they were created in the image and likeness of God and could never, love worketh no evil. Love will not uh, harm another. And yet, in the first two sons of Adam and Eve, we see Cain and Abel. And Cain has lost so much of the divine nature that he could actually murder his brother. And by the time the flood came, it says every imagination of the thoughts of men's heart were only evil continually. And this brings up an interesting point that I think we all need to think about, and that is that when we talk about sin or we talk about unrighteousness, we're, we're talking about activities in which we have to take something from someone else in order to have our own pleasure. 
So if we steal, if we lie, if we commit adultery, if we uh, get involved in activities where we are harming or using other people for our own desires and our own interests, that's what sin is. When I have to take something from someone else in order to have a pleasure, I'm manifesting maybe some human love. Actually, we're not even manifesting human love at that part, but or at that point, but we are certainly completely and totally uh, lost to that divine love. So when the Word became flesh, when Jesus left heaven to come to this earth, uh, he came to bring light back into this dark world that we live in. And so the world was in darkness, and Jesus came. He was the light that shines in the darkness. And one of the most important things that Jesus came to do was to shine the love of God back into our hearts to help the reflection. He told Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we have Jesus, who is the perfect reflection of God. And so everything that he did from the moment that he entered this earth until the moment he left, he never sinned because he never, ever wanted to take something that didn't belong to him. He never wanted to enjoy something that would lead to someone else being hurt or someone else being cheated. So Jesus came to restore this divine love back into our divine nature so that, as Peter said in Second Peter 1, uh, that we have the opportunity. His divine power gave us all things to pertain to life and godliness. His precious and exceeding great promises lead us to once again escape the corruption of the world and to become partakers of the divine nature. So we have this reflection. We talked about this a few weeks ago in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where it says that uh, when we read the scriptures, we are seeing a reflection and we are being transformed into that. So Jesus wanted to restore divine love, but sad to say, there was no word for what he wanted to reveal. There was no word that he could use. Now, the, the, the Hebrews had a word and the Greeks had a word, but the, there was a limitation, a severe limitation, which we'll get to in just a, a few more verses. But if you take some time and you look at the, the Greek definitions of this word, uh, the one that I really like is written by a man named W.E. Vine in Vine's Expository Dictionary. And, and he says this, uh, and, you know, it's unfortunate. I don't often do this, but in order to talk about a word that we don't have a word for, we have to find a word. And the best word to use would be the Greek word that Jesus chose. And so uh, most people uh, understand this word as a, an agape love, A-G-A-P-E, pronounced agape. And the definition of this word is uh, the characteristic word of Christianity. And the spirit of revelation is using it to express ideas previously unknown. So even the Greek scholars who have studied this word, uh, there's another scholar who reveals that all of the Greek uh, philosophers, Plato, excuse me, Aristotle, Socrates, all of these philosophers from the golden age of the Greek empire up to the time of Christ, they had no interest in this word. 
This was a word they thought was really not a, a virtue at all. It was actually a weakness. They see this quality as a weakness. So Jesus had to take a word that the Greeks had rejected and turn it into, as Vine says, the characteristic word of Christianity. So this is a, a very, very important word. So, Alan, would you say that this love has no selfishness at all? Well, that's the, the interesting uh, paradox here, Brian, because it's still part of human love. There, there really should not be a distinction. The problem was that human love became so selfish that it was no longer possible to use that word and even begin to help us see the vacuum or the emptiness in our own heart. So this love, uh, this agape love, has no selfishness, and yet it still has the same pleasure and the same enjoyment as the human love, except from a, an entirely different perspective. Matter of fact, one of the writers had an interesting, it said, this is a love that does not desire, but gives. And that's what divine love is. Divine love finds its pleasure in helping other people, whether they are worthy of being helped, and even whether or not it gives us a sense of, of uh, happiness and pleasure to do it. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, like Jesus said, we need to love our enemies. We need to pray for those who spitefully use us. Well, that's not the human love. Uh, the human love will not is not able to do that, but the divine love is. A divine love can love our enemy and can pray for those who despitefully use us. So although the term agape love has no selfishness in it, when it ultimately merges with our human love, then we will find the same pleasure in manifesting this love, even though, as I said, there's no real benefit to us. That's really the definition of agape love, is it's doing something that doesn't really uh, help me in any way. I'm doing it for someone else. And that's what the divine love is all about. So as we kind of come back to Second Peter chapter 1, uh, particularly verse 7, you know, where this English word love appears at the end of the verse, at least in, in several different translations. Um, Alan, which love is it talking about? Well, clearly, uh, this would be the agape love, and it is. Now, I mentioned earlier that the human, love, the human word for love, which is, by the way, philos, like philosophy. Philosophy is a Greek word that we use in the English language for love of wisdom. And so the human love is the philos love, and the divine love is agape love. And so Peter uses the word agape. Now, I started to say earlier, the phileo love or the philos love, human love, is used about 55 times in the Bible uh, or in the New Testament. This agape love is used 250 times. So five times more often uh, then this human love is this divine love. So the New Testament scriptures have a lot to say about this love. It's really unfortunate that we don't have two words for love so we could tell the difference. The, really, the only way to tell the difference is to learn enough about Greek that you can actually look and see uh, 
and I have done that. Uh, I have a series, I believe, that's on the website. We'll talk about that a little bit more at the end, but we, we describe those different words and, and how they're used. So when Peter tells us that this is what we have to add to our faith, when we first read it, we don't have a point of reference. You know, I've often thought about how do you teach a blind man a color? Uh, how do you teach a deaf man what sound is? Uh, how do you teach someone who has no taste buds what sweet and sour are? And of course, that's kind of where we are here. How do you teach people who only have human love and have no concept of divine love what do we do? How do we do that? And of course, there's only one answer, and that is we have to sit at the feet of Jesus. And we have to learn of his love in order for us to comprehend it enough to be able to develop it ourselves. Paul spoke a little bit about this in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, if we know the love of Christ, and then he says, actually, it is far beyond our comprehension. This is at the end of the third chapter of Ephesians. He says that the love of Christ is, it, it passes knowledge because that's how great it is. So no matter how much I've already added, there is so much more to add. There is so much more that we can learn. And again, uh, we'll find out a little bit later, since God is love, that this is going to be one of the greatest leaps of knowledge, understanding, and uh, strengthening power once we have learned this. And so after we learn what Jesus did on this earth and we start changing our own heart, then, as I said earlier, it won't take the place of human love. It'll just deepen and widen it. You'll, stay, you'll still say, I love you, to your wife or to your husband or to your children. But it will mean so much more because once we reach this point, even if we are angry with our spouse, even if we are, we are uh, unhappy with our children, we will still have this divine desire to act in their best interest, sacrifice for them, and with really actually very little regard for the return. Normally, uh, if someone doesn't love me, it's hard for me to continue to love them. I need a return. If I say I love you to a, to a, a girl or a girl says I love you to a boy and they get no response, well, there's nothing there to grow and develop. But with the divine love, that's not an issue. So, Helen, is there a single verse that our listeners could learn that will help them to begin their journey to learning and adding this to our faith? You know, that's, a, that's an interesting question, Brian, and there's a lot of different answers. But I think the preemptive and definitive word, or preeminent and definitive word, uh, or verse, is in John chapter 13. This is Jesus' final night on earth. He's going to be betrayed and crucified the next day. And uh, he has just finished washing his disciples' feet, serving them and showing them a great care and concern. And then he gives this very important verse. Uh, Jeff, would you like to read John 13, verses 34 and 35 for us this evening, please? Sure. A new command I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
And the fascinating thing about this, and, and this is another thing that the Greeks have that we don't have, they have two words for new. Uh, there's a word for new that we would use when it's new to us, but it's not brand new. So if someone buys a second-hand car and they say, come look at my new car, and we see that it's 10 years old, we don't say, oh, you're not telling the truth. We make a mental shift. We say, okay, this is new to you, but it's not a brand new car. But this word means brand new. This command has never, ever been given before. It couldn't be given before. Uh, this is a brand new commandment that you love one another, uh, even as I have loved you. Now, the Greek word even as here is kind of the, the center point if you had a balancing scale. If you, if you had a scale, you're buying a product, the merchant takes a weight and puts it on one side of the scale, and then uh, puts the product, might be corn or wheat, uh, on the other side. And when those perfectly balance, then you know you're not being cheated and he's not being cheated because that's the perfect balancing point between the two. And so in Jesus' command here, he says, and, and this is where the newness is, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And if you can love one another as I have loved you, then all men are going to know you're my disciples. If you have this quality of love for one another. So if in the verses that I read, if the word there for new is a you know, brand new, never before sort of commandment, um, is that basically then telling us that the word or even the concept is not found previously, like back in the Old Testament? Yeah, that that is an interesting question. And God did the best he could to define love to the people in the Old Testament. But as I said, you have to have a point of reference. If you can't see colors and you tell someone the sky is blue, and trees have green leaves, and uh, we could go on with different colors, and, and they're saying, well, how can you explain that to me? How can you explain it? Well, if we can't give them back their sight, then it would be very difficult for us to do much more than just give them a basic sketch, and, and even then it would be a struggle, because they don't have a sense to be able to see what you're trying to describe to them so whatever you give them, if they ever did get their sight back, they would say, wow, this color is so much more than you were able to describe for me. So in uh, Jesus' final week on the earth, when the different groups, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the lawyers, the Herodians, were all trying to develop different questions that Jesus wouldn't be able to answer uh, a lawyer came up to him and asked a question, and I think we could answer your question with that. So, Brian, if, if you wouldn't mind reading uh, Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Sure. Here it says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. 
Now, this is a very, very comprehensive and profound observation. Jesus basically says that every command in the Old Testament is based on these two commands. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Then you will love your neighbor as yourself. But you see, there's a fundamental problem with these two commands because they're very subjective. What I know about love is the only way that I can give back to God. And what I know about love is, is the only thing that I can give back to my fellow man. So I need to love my neighbor as myself. I need to love God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. But that's all relative. And it, and it, it means different things to different people because our minds are uh, going to be expanded by God's word but like I said, it's the problem of color. If you can't see, then you can't really grasp the color. So when Jesus said that I want you to love as I have loved you, well, now we have a brand new standard. And I think that's the key here. I don't think that the, 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 the qualities of agape love are, are certainly found in the Old Testament. But I guess I'd have to say they're really in black and white. They're not in color yet. Uh, they are relative to each human being's understanding of what love means. And as I said, he can't, be, he can't expand his mind past human love because that's all there is. And the full depths of, 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 of divine love have not yet been revealed. And so if you think about it, when it says in John 3.16, a passage that we quote all the time, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe on him might not perish but have everlasting life. And of course, as we get to the crucifixion, the trial, the betrayal, the beatings, the spitting upon, and then as we learn that this person who endured all of this was with God in the beginning as and helped him with the creation. So the depth of sacrifice there is far greater than anything that we could even comprehend or understand. Uh, the fact is that, as Paul says in Romans 5, for a good man someone might die, but God commends or, or shows his love in that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. So the standard is far different, far, far different and so it's it's a proportion it's it's an understanding the more we understand Christ's love the deeper our love comes and we're no longer loving as myself i'm no longer loving with all my heart with all my mind because that's relative i'm now I've, i now have a perfect standard a perfect scale to weigh my love upon Alan, this word seems to be very difficult to fully understand since we don't have any real examples of it before we become a Christian. Does God give us some passages to help us better understand it? Yes. Yes, he does. And, and one of them I've already referenced, and uh, it's, it's found in John chapter 5. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5. And it's a very comprehensive passage, but we're just going to read verses 8 and 10. But I would encourage our listeners 
to take the entire section. Actually, you could start in verse 1 and go up to about, about verses 10 or 11. But for our purposes, just to understand, again, as, as the question developed it, is, is, this a, is this a hard word to understand? Well, yes, it is because it's divine. And the only way we're going to be able to figure it out is by looking at how God has revealed it to us. So, uh, Jeff, would you like to read Romans 5, just as, again, verses 8 and then verse 10? But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Okay, and so the, the real point of this verse is, is the concept of demonstration. You know, we teach our children a lot of things just by instruction. We teach them how to involve themselves in various factual activities. Uh, history is taught this way, and mathematics is taught this way. But some things can only be learned by demonstration. So when we had to learn how to write, uh, the teacher would often take a, a, a piece of chalk or a pen and they would show us where to start on the paper, which direction to go on the paper, and when to pick up our pencil or pen and then put it back down and start the next letter. And so some things can only be learned by demonstration. So when we teach a child how to ride a bicycle or we teach a child even how to drive a car, uh, we don't just give them instructions. We give them a demonstration. We, we show them exactly how it needs to be done. Well, that's really what God has done. God, We are God's children, and God understands, I can't describe this love to you. I just can't do it. It's, it's too deep. It's too, it's too beautiful, and it's too multifaceted. And the only way I can really reveal this to you is to demonstrate it for you. So I'm going to demonstrate this agape love by showing you that while you were still a sinner and while you were still an enemy, I sent my son to die for you. And there was, you know, most of the people that God sent his son to die for, they don't even care. They don't even accept it. God wasted the effort that he put forth for the vast majority of the human race, but he says, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in the return. Of course, God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's part of agape love too. He wants what's best for us. But even if we don't respond, God's love is still there. And this is the huge difference between divine love and human love. We need a response. As I said earlier, if we, if we get the courage to tell someone we love them, and all we get in return is, well, I don't love you. Well, for many people, that's the end of it. I mean, if, if, if I'm not going to get any response, then I'm not going to continue to love that person. And that's what human love is like. But God demonstrates his love in that while we were sinners, while we were enemies, while we were people who had no care or concern for God whatsoever, when we were at our very worst, Jesus Christ was sent into the world to die for us. And it is that act that crystallizes and helps us to finally see and comprehend what this agape love is able to do. And as I say, it's so different than human love. Human love needs a response. Human love needs pleasure. 
Human love needs interest. Human love needs something that what's what's in it for me. And if there's nothing in it for me, well, I don't love it on a human level. But on a divine level, I don't need to have any of that. It's the need. If someone has a need, whether they reciprocate or not, and this is part of the, the real issue of or essence of of our evangelistic efforts. Many of the people that we bring the gospel up to are going to reject us and are not going to hear it because they are not interested. But we're not we don't we're not looking for the response. Of course we want the response. We would like to save everyone, but whether we can save them or not, we still want to be a blessing to these people. We want to be helpful to them, even if they respond with persecution, even if they respond with hatred. Uh, God's agape love is a sacrificial love. God's agape love pays a deep price for the happiness, for uplifting, for strengthening other people. And as I say, in cultures where this Christian ethic, this Christian basic essence of Christianity has gone, you you find people willing to make these sacrifices. For example, if there's a car and it's on fire and somebody's inside of it, many cultures would say that's just too bad. Uh, Those cultures that have been influenced by Christianity will risk their own life, and sometimes people will even die trying to help someone they don't even know because this is part of the divine love. But if we are not influenced by that divine love, then it's very difficult for people to say, I would die. I, I once asked uh, some people in Malawi, which is in Africa, if they would die for their wives. And they couldn't even know how to answer that question because without the concept of this divine love, then that is a question like telling someone what is blue if they're blind or what is yellow if they're blind. So agape love is a completely unselfish care and concern for the benefits of other people willing to serve, willing to sacrifice, willing to, uh, as Paul said, spend and be spent for your souls. And it really, the primary focus is on the need and the well-being of other people. And that's why I say for for many people who have never been introduced to this, in, in the beginning, it seems like a very foreign concept that we could only consider the needs and well-being of other people and have no interest at all in what we might get in return. And again, that is a, a very, very difficult concept. And, and uh, we, we have, again, as we mentioned earlier in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So uh, God wants us to learn this love and manifest it. And God has given us many, many, as I said, 250 passages are found in the New Testament with this word. Once you, in the Gospels, the human love is is the primary. When you read in the Gospels and you see the word love, many of those words are the human love. But once you leave the Gospels, once you're in the letters of Paul and the letters of Peter, you, and, and, and especially the letters of John, uh, by far, 90%, are these this word agape love and these are descriptions of agape love and and exercises for agape love and importance of agape love 
Well, and as you indicated, it's like a very difficult concept, you know, for us limited humans to grasp. It's, it's kind of a difficult concept, certainly to put in play, like, you know, loving those people that, you know, may not like you or may even be your enemies. So, you know, given that, it, if we look at it as a command and we kind of compare it with some of the other commands, you know, in the New Testament, um, is there some sense that this is, you know, important or a smaller command or a more important command to master compared with some of the other uh, things that God asks us to do? That's an excellent question and, and a good observation as well. Uh, the scriptures are very clear. We saw this already. You remember in Matthew 22 when Jesus said that the entire Old Testament law is based on these the command to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor. Now, of course, without the human or without the divine element, it can only be love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But now Jesus has, has blended that. And so now I love the Lord, the Lord my God with the same love that Jesus did. Now you remember all those times in uh, John 14 and 15 that Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, then you will serve and do everything that I have asked you to do. I think about five times in John 14 and 15, Jesus makes that point. He also says, if you will keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. So the basic command here, or the basic statement that all of the Old Testament law is based on the love, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in the New Testament, that's going to be blended with you love the Lord your God as Jesus loved the Lord his God, and you love your neighbor as Jesus loved his neighbor. And so this is really the the basic situation here, then once we understand that, it, it just kind of broadens out. For example, in, John, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he says, now abide, abides faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So love is greater than faith. Now, we know that faith is what God uses to reckon us as righteousness. Faith is, without faith, it is impossible to be well-pleasing to him, because he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And of course, that's in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. But here, Paul is saying that love is actually greater than faith. Well, why would he say that? I think that the, the point is that uh, when, when, when we first become a Christian and uh, we, we love God and, and we want to serve God, but I think in the beginning, it's more out of fear and it's more out of, of a selfish desire. In other words, I'm going to serve God because I don't want to go to hell. I'm going to serve God because I want to go to heaven. And, of course, these are two vital points. I wouldn't disagree that because Jesus is very clear that he that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that, is, he that disbelieves will be condemned. So fear is a part of our faith. And so is desire. Uh, hope. Hope means that you, you want something. You're, you're hoping to get something. But you know something? Love is greater because love doesn't need fear. And love doesn't need desire. If, if there were no hell and there were no heaven, 
if we have agape love, we would serve God just because he's God and just because he deserves to be served. He is so great. He has done so much for us. And divine love would acknowledge the need to give him the glory and the honor and the praise and the admiration, not because I don't want to go to hell, not because I want to go to heaven, but because I truly love God. I truly have this divine love in my own heart, which would mean that I want to serve him and I want to honor him, not because I'm going to get something, not because I'm going to lose something, but because he deserves that. And there's a lot of verses like that in the scriptures. Uh, in 1 John chapter 4, it says that he that loves knows God because God is love. And he does not love does not know God. So love is the bridge by which, uh, well, let me rephrase that. Love is the ability to see color in the spiritual realm. It is the ability to taste beautiful uh, tastes that are sweet and are wonderful. You can't get that without this agape love. You won't know God. You won't understand God. You won't be able to appreciate him. And then, as I mentioned earlier in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, we're told that love, this love surpasses knowledge, but that once we receive it, we can be filled with all the fullness of God. That's that's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, Peter said you need to add this love to your faith. And we're going to spend a lifetime struggling with it because, as I say, it's counterintuitive. It's just oftentimes it's just exactly the opposite of what we would normally do. So when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, that's what agape love would do. But that's not what human love would do. If somebody strikes me on the face, human love is going to say, I didn't like that and you deserve to suffer. And I'm going to be the one to cause that. But divine love would say, you still have needs, even though you have done this terrible thing to me, and I am interested in helping you with those needs. Why else would Jesus say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, after they've spit on him and abused him and mocked him and flogged him and nailed him to a tree, and here he is on the tree in agony saying, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. That's divine love. That's a demonstration of divine love. And uh, another verse along that line is in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Um, one of you want to read that for me, please? Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Yeah, I can do that. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do also. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So as we read through that, we see a lot of very precious terms, tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Uh, these are all characteristics of agape love. These are all characteristics of God. When we have the best interests of other people in our heart, truly, I want what's best for you. Not selfishly, not out of fear, but only out of true agape love. I want what's best for you. 
I can be merciful. I can have tender mercy towards someone like that, even if they don't deserve it, even if they, even if they are someone who has mistreated or, or been vile in some way or another. And of course, the rest of these go along with them. Kindness, wanting to be kind and gentle to people. Humility, which means I want to make other people as important or more important as myself. Meekness, which causes me to put all things under the control of God and not use my emotions or my feelings or my abilities to, in the sense of harming or uh, using them for the wrong purposes. And so, but the most interesting point he makes is that uh, above all these things, love is the bond of perfection. So what does Paul mean by the bond of perfection? If we turn over to 1 John chapter 4, Brian, matter of fact, Brian, would you read that for us, 1 John 4, 7 and 8? Yes, here it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So here we, we see, I think, graphically described the bond of perfection, uh, which means the term bond essentially has the idea of binding everything else up into one bag or one box. So I'm going to bind this all together and mail it off to somebody. So I take all the things, I put it in a box. Well, love, as Jesus said in, in the Old Testament, love binds together every command that is given in the Old Testament. There's not a single command in the Old Testament or in the New Testament for that matter that is not based on loving my neighbor exactly the way Jesus loved his neighbor and loving my God exactly the way that Jesus loved his God. Now, if we love one another like that, then we're born of God and we know God because likes understand. So if I see colors and you see colors, then we can talk about colors. What's your favorite color? Well, I like blue. Well, what is blue? Well, no, he won't say that. He'll say, well, yeah, I, I think blue is a pretty color, but I like green better. Or I like yellow or red or purple or orange. And, of course, our listeners, if they can see, their mind is quickly grasping orange, yellow, blue, purple, red. Uh, it's, it's very simple because we understand them. Well, that's the problem. Until we understand love, we're blind. We're blind to God. We can read about God's character, but we don't have anything to bind it all together. We don't have anything to to be able to quickly, as I say, with colors, we can quickly nimbly jump from red to orange to yellow to green to purple to uh, all these different colors. No problem. But then we come to God, long-suffering, mercy, compassion, uh, care and concern, forgiveness and forbearance. And we take all of these and love binds them all together. And once again, just like we can with colors, when I see forbearance, when I see forgiveness, when I see mercy, when I see compassion and love and grace, uh, if I put them all in the context of love, then I see them clearly, just like I do colors. But if I don't understand love, then all of those concepts are, to a certain degree, going to remain beyond my ability to comprehend them. They're just going to be just beyond my reach, just like colors would be to somebody who can't see. 
And so there's a blindness here. And Jesus, of course, talks about that. The world is in darkness. And how do you explain light to people who are in darkness? You know, it's just like, again, if you have a blind person and you say, well, light and darkness. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's hard to explain it. But once he gets his eyesight back, then it's very easy to explain it. Well, and and given those kinds of challenges, as we start to kind of wrap up our study for the evening, you know, I'm certain some of our listeners may be very interested in, you know, learning more uh, about the concept. Are there any other scriptures that you could maybe offer up to kind of give them some additional, um, either additional or better or or deeper insight as to the concept? Yeah, uh, there actually are. Now, we've already dealt with one, the one in John chapter 13, where Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new commandment that you love one another. Well, what did he mean by that? And of course, then we come to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is an inspired definition of divine love. And when we have these things, we have divine love. If we don't understand them or we can't do them or we think that they are not fair or beyond our ability to do, well, then that means we don't have that divine love. So, Brian, would you read through them? And I'd like for our listeners to really carefully, as we look at these descriptions, ask myself and ask yourself if you have these things. Here it says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Right. So... In this passage, as I said earlier, we have a divine description, explanation, definition, and demonstration of what divine love is. Now, if you take all these things and you apply them to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we see them. Jesus suffered long and was kind. He never envied. He never boasted or paraded himself as someone important. You remember when God or Satan said, throw yourself off so people will see how great you are. And he said, absolutely not. You don't tempt the Lord your God. Uh, He was never rude. He was never selfish. He was never provoked. He never lashed back at anyone. He never thought evil or proclaimed evil. He never was happy when other people sinned but he always rejoiced in the truth. So these are the characteristics that Jesus manifested. And when he said, if you will love one another as I have loved you, well, here's a clear definition that I think to a, uh, depending on our spiritual maturity and our spiritual growth and development and and our understanding of this divine love, uh, we are all on this path. But when Jesus says, add, or excuse me, when Peter said, add to your faith, Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. He was taking us on this stair step from our babe to be from a babe in Christ to a mature Christian. And I think this verse that Paul has here is a very helpful one to see whether or not we're adding faith. I'm sorry, we're adding love 
to our faith. So if we have become patient, patient with our family, patient with our wives and husbands, patient with our fellow co-workers, and patient with our neighbors, and, and treating them with kindness, and acting toward them in such a way that you they always see that you're interested in them. You're not interested in using them. You're interested in helping them. That's a huge, huge leap for many of us. Many people are kind and and patient with people if they think they can get something from them. Uh, James made that point when he said, when the wealthy person comes in and you fall all over yourselves to make him feel important, and then the poor man comes in and you say, oh, go sit over there under my footstool. Well, that's a classic example of, of someone who doesn't have any love. They have human love, and they're looking for something in return. God, God doesn't want that. He wants his people to be like him. He wants his people to be unselfish and caring. And, and uh, as, we, as we look at these things and, and we think about them, uh, do we believe all things? In other words, do we put the best possible motive on what people are doing, or do we put the worst possible motive on them? You know, people do things sometimes that are hurtful or harmful, but it was a mistake. It wasn't something they intended to do. But if we treat them like you plan this and this is what you this is who you really are, well that that is not what agape love would do. Agape love is gonna put the best possible motive on what people do and endure anything in order to be a blessing to them. Once we have agape love, then Jesus command to turn the other cheek and go the second mile. It's no longer hard to understand. It's natural. We understand why. And so as we grow and develop, uh, these things are going to become second nature to us. And we're going to become unselfish. And we're going to understand God better. And we're going to have this bond of perfection that binds all of these other good qualities into one overarching thing, which is acting in God's best interest, like Jesus did, and asking, acting in the best interests of our neighbors, like Jesus did. And so this is really the basis. And I guess I would say this is the foundation. We haven't really even gotten into the actual fullness of this love. But I think that we do have some resources on the website that would be very helpful for that. But human love must be brought under the power of divine love. And when both of them merge, then we will be filled with all the fullness of God and we will be people who know God and who love like God loves. And that's where Peter, that's where Peter ends this stair step from wanting to be the best that we can be in virtue and wanting to know as much as we can about God what about God and what God wants and then trying to develop the self-control and the ability to master and curb ourselves so that what we know becomes what we are and then to that we have to add this perseverance because sometimes we all get tired we all get uh, jaded and we all get uh, in a position where we just wonder why why are we doing this and and perseverance gets us over those humps. And then we move to this godliness, which is that wonderful characteristic of wanting God 
to see us in a wonderful light. In other words, I want God to be happy. I want to be God's friend. I want God to see me as his friend. I want to sacrifice for him. And that's where godliness takes us. And then again, as we saw in our last lesson, we we want to have this brotherly kindness, this understanding that we are a nation now, that we our citizenship is in heaven. And like Isaac, we are children of promise. And Abraham is our father. And Jesus is our brother. And all of the fellow Christians are all part of God's family. And so from that, we develop this care and concern. And then, as I say, the pinnacle, the very highest, is this agape love. And so I, I really encourage all of our listeners to carefully think about these things because when we stand in God's presence, and we have to be judged. We would like to be judged by God because we are loving as he loves and we trust his judgment and we are becoming again full of this bond of perfection. So Alan, this uh, is the seventh of the spiritual qualities that we've been talking about to add to our faith and next week, the final episode. Can you give our listeners an idea of, of how you'll kind of tie all this together in the final episode? Sure. In, in our last episode, we want to talk about those those final verses where Peter talks about uh, the tremendous value, the benefits. You know, a, 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 whatever sacrifices we make, we make them because we know that there's a benefit. It's hard to make a sacrifice if we don't think there's going to be anything, any benefit from it. So adding these seven things to our faith, that's going to be a big sacrifice. It's going to take our whole life, and it's going to, as Paul said, uh, what things were gained to me, I suffered uh, loss, and uh, I count all things to be lost. And so my life is going to change. And instead of my life revolving about me and my life and my hopes and my dreams, I'm going to sacrifice my life by adding these seven things. And Peter says that you will be greatly rewarded. There's nothing you could spend your time on in this life that would have more value than these seven things. And so we're gonna talk about why in our uh, next podcast. Thanks, appreciate you sharing that. Jeff, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, the only thing I might mention that, that Alan uh, just mentioned in passing, uh, at our website, biblequestions.org, if you go under the topics uh, menu item for the letter L uh, to look up uh, the concept of love, we've got almost a dozen articles under that topic. And as we like to mention at the end of each of the podcasts in this series, uh, this whole series uh, in the form of various uh, handouts is also available on our website under the lessons uh, menu item uh, underneath that, the sub item called Christian Living, and underneath that, adding to your faith. So lots of material that you can actually dig even deeper into these already very deep <laughs> concepts. Good, very good material, good resources. Encourage everybody to take a look at those, and please join us next time for the last episode in this series. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at biblequestions.org.